Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. New York City is certainly a city that has gone through a lot in its nearly 400-year history. Civil unrest, direct attack, rebellions, a revolution, natural disasters, and of course the effects of a devastating global pandemic. But it's also often said that New York and New Yorkers can come back from the edge stronger, better, and more hopeful than ever. And the ability to do that is something that certainly other cities share around the world as well. Coming back is an idea that is true of some of New York's most treasured institutions. After the challenges of the past few years, theater and musical performances are back, museums are full, People are enjoying themselves, meeting each other to socialize in public, and crowds, something that we all have to navigate as New Yorkers, are most definitely back. The idea of coming back, rising from the ashes, honoring what was, but embracing what is and what will be, is really the essence of it all, and that is so deeply evident all around us here in the city. And New York has always been something that is never static, something that is always evolving, in some ways, a city that has always been returning from something. And one example of that is the return of a true New York institution, one that has been part of the city's history and social scene, and that has brought people together for nearly 200 years, and that is the restaurant called Delmonico's. Delmonico's holds the distinction as being the first fine dining restaurant in America, Beginning with humble roots fostered and cared for by two immigrant brothers, it became the social center of the Gilded Age until Prohibition shut it and all others like it down. But Delmonico's came back again in the 1920s. The dreams of Italian immigrant Oscar Tucci and his children Mario and Mary ran the business until the 1980s and brought Delmonico's back from its shuttered past again. And today, it is Mario's son, Max Tucci, whom I sat down with just a year ago, that has taken the business and reopened its doors yet again, deeply honoring the world that created the early Delmonico's, his own family, and adding his own truly unique spirit to it all as well. Delmonico's, like New York, shares that spirit with other cities and people wherever they are coming back after a period of darkness and is indeed a phoenix that also rises. Hello, I'm Carl Raymond, the host of the Gilded Gentleman History Podcast, where every other week we journey into worlds light and dark of America's Gilded Age, France's Belle Epoque, and England's late Victorian and Edwardian eras. When I sat down with Max Tucci a year ago for an interview about his newly published book, The Delmonico Way, drawn from his growing up in New York and America's iconic restaurant, it was clear to me that this was not really about food. Of course, Delmonico's has been responsible for some of the finest food ever prepared in American restaurant kitchens since its earliest days in the 19th century. But Max embodies and tells a different story. At its core, this is a story about two other things, tradition and ancestry. 
When one comes to the newly reopened Delmonico's today, you come to the same grand, imposing brownstone building built in 1890 at the height of the Gilded Age. You walk through the same heavy wooden glass doors that Hollywood celebrities, masters of the universe, heads of state, and far more regular folk passed through. And you enter a space where hospitality greets you wherever you look. There is a sense of the past, but also of the future. The classic menu offers some old friends prepared the way Delmonico's refined them decades ago, and some new acquaintances as well. But as you will hear, you always feel a sense of the past, and it is one's own past whether one has ever been through those heavy wooden doors or not. And it's a sense of celebration and warmth and of being part of something. That is what Delmonico's will share with you today. I could not be more honored and delighted to be joined once again by Max Tucci to continue the conversation. I am so honored to be joined today for another conversation with the extraordinary Max Tucci. And Max and I are actually sitting recording this interview on location at Delmonico's. This incredible building dates from the Gilded Age, yet the new decor blends that elegance of old New York with a modern contemporary feel. Max Tucci is the grandson of Oscar Tucci, who brought Delmonico's back to life in the Prohibition years. After Oscar's death, Max's father Mario and Aunt Mary continued to steer the business through the 1980s. In addition to being keeper of the Delmonico flame, Max himself is an award-winning producer and host of Max and Friends. He is a writer and a TV and radio personality and fellow podcaster. A food and wine expert and enthusiast, Max divides his time between his farm north of New York City, Colorado, Florida, and the family home outside Florence, Italy. Most exciting of all, Max's return to the once family business as third generation partner and global brand officer of Delmonico's to keep the hospitality traditions of his family alive for new audiences and new diners today. Max, I could not be happier to share in this moment of the reopening of Delmonico's and to again be across the table from you. Welcome back to The Gilded Gentleman. And welcome to Delmonico's. This is so exciting to be here. <laughs> right? Last time I was in your space and now you're in our oh. space because that's what Delmonico's is, right? It welcomes all to the table. It's our space. And thank you, Carl. You know, I love your show. I love tuning into it. And I'm just so honored that you're here in Delmonico's. I am honored that I'm here and that you're <laughs> with me and that we're here in Delmonico's. Max, this is just so quite a moment. When we talked last year, this idea of you playing such an essential role in the reopening of what was once your grandfather's dream wasn't quite a reality, but now here you are. How did all of this evolve and how does it make you feel? So we'll start with the feeling. And I've said this because this is really my truth. To describe it minimizes the feeling. It really minimizes the feeling because the feeling, and here we are describing it, but is more than joy, right? It's honoring my ancestors. It's feeling that energy. And it, it's like cloud nine times a million, right? And that's where I, I really am. And did I ever think this was going to happen? Yes. The short answer is yes. 
because I know that when I was doing the book, The Dumb Monica Way, and that I saw all these things that my Aunt Mary saved, that my mother saved, that my grandfather, my father, my grandmother saved, what they were doing was they were laying these golden bricks, the yellow brick road for me. So yes, it was inevitable because the ancestors, they guided me to this moment. And so to be back in 56 Beaver Street, the same doors that we both just walked in, those double doors, those famous double doors, were the same doors, are the same doors that my grandfather walked through, my father walked through, my Aunt Mary, my mother, and then everyone that followed them, right? And then if we go back even further, all of those that became before my grandfather, the people that have all walked through that door, you know, it's like that scene in um, Titanic, at the end when everyone is back in the boat and they're all waving and they're like, welcome back to Delmonico's, right? I'm getting chills now in this room. I am too. And we're both going to get emotional here, but um, that's the feeling of Delmonico's. So Max, the press has been so strong for this reopening. A, a New York Phoenix truly has risen. What do you find people most responding to about Delmonico's coming back? What I'm seeing from New Yorkers, right, I'm a born New Yorker, born and raised, is they're all thrilled and excited that Delmonico's is back, right? For the locals that live here that are like, we've missed Delmonico's so much, here it is. And for those that are traveling from all over the world, you know, we're getting a lot of, um, a lot of spectators outside because of the building, you know, and they're thinking it was in a certain uh, series. I'll leave it at that. But they're traveling from all over the world to come to Delmonico's. And so the common thread they all have is that they're all just so happy that Delmonico's is back. You know, one of the things after we did our show last year that I heard from my listeners and people that I talked to about doing the show with you is everyone has a Delmonico story. Their parents came here, their grandparents came here, they watched it in the press. I mean, there's everyone has a story. Yeah. So it becomes the part of so many people's lives, right? And is the part of so many people's lives, right? What's fascinating is up at the farm, Delmonico Farm, and you know, this show has a wonderful energy through it. There's like a tapestry of manifestation because the last time we were together, we're like, we're going to do an interview at Delmonico's. And you had no idea what I knew that I was gonna already be here, right? This has been under wraps for quite some time. And so Delmonico Farm, and eventually the point being is that we're gonna do something out of Delmonico Farm. But I have a neighbor that lives there and I post a lot on Instagram at Max Tucci and Delmonico's is at Delmonico's New York. That's the correct account. But up at the farm, I, I get an instant uh, a message from a neighbor of mine, Brandon, and he says, my mother just told me that she saw your post about Delmonico's and that his pop-pop and his grandmother came here for their first date. And then he went on to say, and my grandfather delivered bread in New York for Delmonico's. And, we knew, and then we did some research and his grandfather was delivering bread to my grandfather. He's now my neighbor up at the farm, more or less. And he gives me a picture of his grandfather with the horse and carriage, with the bread, it's here in the front of the building, and I will show it to you when, when I give you a tour of the building. So all of these stories, right, how my grandmother had her debutante there, my grandparents were married there, we used to go there for lunches, and the funniest is, is Kip Forbes, Malcolm Forbes' son said, you know, we had an expense account at Delmonico's, but if we went there, my father made sure always to check it. 
right? So then we broaden into really into the world of everyone because all are welcomed at the table. And everyone feels incredibly welcome when we walk through those doors, Max. Now, I want to talk about the physical Delmonico's because here we are in this iconic building, the Citadel. Can you talk about the history of this location, this space? Because there were several locations were of Delmonico's. Several. But this is the classic, I think we can say. But talk about this building. What do people see when they come here today? People see when they come to Delmonico's today, first, the building is so legendary, right? When we did the title of the book, Sublime Entertaining and Legendary Recipes from the Restaurant That Made New York, right? This was the restaurant that made New York. And, um, and what's so fascinating on top of all of the is that the building, we have to go back. You know, I like to say we're moving forward while looking back right? But while we go back and we journey to the Delmonico's, to the brothers and the building, you know, they started a bake shop, really, and a bonbon shop. And I'm giving you the first dibs here that we're getting, we're getting into the bonbon world. So that's an exclusive for you. Oh, listeners, you <laughs> heard it here first. <laughs> and William Street is right there, right? <laughs> so that's even more like, you know, the energy is here. But so they had their bonbon shop. And by 1837, they had Delmonico's fine dining restaurant. Now, this building was here. The building was knocked down in 1890 and in one year was rebuilt by 1891, adding four more floors. So yes, it's the same footprint of the building, but now it's just a more grand building. This, it's really like a terracotta brownstone, right? It's a phenomenal building. And I just like in my head fantasize how when my grandfather bought it, how he loved and adored it and cleaned it and was always taking care of it. And I have all of the ephemera and the bills and the receipts from when he was putting things in and fixing things. And it's just like the love he had for this building is still felt today. And I think that's what draws so many people in. And this is really a Gilded Age building. When we talk about Delmonico's being such an important institution in the Gilded Age, this building was here in the Gilded yeah. Age. And remember about the Gilded Age. And, you know, it's fun because the Gilded Age is coming back out season two, right? And we saw the, the fun, uh, the, the real. But what's interesting is about Gilded Age is that homes couldn't really have more than 500 people, right? 300, 200. So we're, you know, those that know the mansions know, but those that don't, Delmonico's became that place for larger scale parties, right? To occupy more people. And this building, when we operated it, my grandfather was operating 63,000 square feet. Delmonico's today is in operation with 14,000 square feet. 14,000 square feet of restaurant, right? So we're in the boardroom right now. Downstairs is, there's two other private rooms downstairs. I like to call the speakeasy because that was the speakeasy during my grandfather. We have the main dining room, which was the palm room. We have the bar, we have the grill room, right? So there's still all the flair that my grandfather had because my grandfather had the hunt room. He had the Baroque room, the Roman room. And you can learn more about those rooms in the book, right? In the Delmonico way. But when you come to Delmonico's, you'll see the update. And we're still, we are, we're still moving forward while looking back. I kind of want to go back to the speakeasy downstairs and give that vibe to New York, make it super exclusive. But what's fascinating about this building, and when I know your listeners are going to come in, because I know they, they, you, they trust you, they know, they, they really, they take your advice to heart. And so when they come in, they're going to notice, for those that have the book, because they're that loyal, your, your listeners, the, the bar used to be in front. Right. And so there were some changes in the 90s. Then the building upstairs uh, was converted into residential. But before that, my grandfather had the penthouse 
where from the last show we spoke about where Rock Hudson would go. And then, of course, Elizabeth Taylor and Onassis and Jack Yo and JFK and Lena Horne and Lana Turner. This place was was really, it was swinging with celebrities, right? And that's what made Delmonico so fabulous. But even during the Gilded Age, when you look at the families that came here, right? And how they dined the first time out of their homes. And what did that experience mean, right? It meant so much. And that experience reminds me to tell your listeners to use the things your grandparents gave you right? To use those dishes, to use the silverware, to use the, all the glassware, the flatware, the linens. Use all of this. Because when I look back at those pictures of Delmonico's, when they're just very easily slated, society having dinner at Delmonico's, I see all the abundance on the table. Recreate that at home. I use my grandmother's china every single day. But I remember. Will not surprise you, Max. I right? remember we you told me that, that on the last yeah. show. So, Max, in thinking about this reopening of really a true New York legend and classic restaurant, how did you think about what to maintain and keep from the past, and what did you want to add that brought it into the modern day? The one thing that we really wanted to bring into this era of Delmonico's was ancestors and history. Right. So when we see history today being erased in so many areas, right, I wanted to celebrate the history of Delmonico's even more so so that people remember fine dining. But they also remember an environment that was really an unbelievable place, which is it is today. So when you come into Delmonico's, you'll see a lot of the photos from the book which are all in framed. And then you'll see my grandfather, my, my father, my Aunt Mary. You'll see Gypsy Rose Lee. You'll see Virginia Graham. You'll see the women from the Salvation Army from their first lunch here, right? You will see the menus. You will see sketches. You'll see Arlene Dahl. And you'll feel like I'm back at Delmonico's, right? But then you're going to notice some, some new additions to the walls. And I'm going to leave that at that for the curiosity for those to come in and see those walls. And with that, Max and I will take a short break and we'll be right back. There is so much more to say. Three great words. Free Fries Friday. Especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase. Bell one time on Fridays at participating McDonald's through 1231-24. Excludes tax must update rewards. And we're back. I'm Carl Raymond, host of the Gilded Gentleman History Podcast, and we are here on location at Delmonico's and talking with third-generation partner, Max Tucci. So, Max, let's talk about the food. Now, first of all, if you can really please clarify this misconception that has lingered that Delmonico's was about being a steakhouse. So not true. So not true. And so not true that it was an Italian restaurant. You know, I did um, Good Day New York recently, and it was Columbus Day that I did it, and everyone's like, oh, Delmonico's is Italian. And I said, it has Italian aspects to it, right? It's continental and now steak-driven is how we really describe it today. But let's go down and we'll take a journey to America's first fine dining restaurant, bringing the tablecloth to the table, the menu to the table, Farm to table wasn't even, it wasn't, it was just the way of life. It wasn't even a concept. It was what it was, right? 
So when we think about fine French dining and that experience, which is what Delmonico's offered then, and my grandfather also brought in those elements in his, in his era, the tableside service, the preparation, the flambéing. There was a wonderful article recently, Lelo Arpaia, who went on to open many restaurants in New York. His daughter is Donatella and the Sandino. He remembers how, how Oscar and my father, Mario, were. He said, with the romaine lettuce, you had to divide it with a spoon and a fork, never cut it, so that the essence of the romaine will stay in the lettuce, right? So yes, it has those aspects of fine dining. Today, when I look at the future of food and hospitality, when I look at those that are walking in through the door, no matter where they're coming from, they're all excited to be here. So yes, all are welcome to the table. Someone asked me recently, they said, will there be glamour at Delmonico's? My answer to that question really is, if you want there to be glamour in Delmonico's, you have to bring that glamour into Delmonico's. It's your responsibility that when we learn to teach, it's your responsibility to show people the glamour because you know it, right? We can't just assume everyone knows glamour. So if you want that glamour in Delmonico's, bring it. Oh, it's here, Max. <laughs> now, can you share a few of the old classic dishes that are still mm. on the menu? And what about, and I just had the honor of meeting your chef. What are some of the new dishes that you've added to the menu? So we'll start with the classics. We have the lobster Newberg. Right. And in the book, you'll learn that it was the lobster Wenberg and why the story storytelling from Delmonico's is really a beautiful environment to, to, to tell stories. But the lobster Newberg, the eggs Benedict, we don't have yet. But I feel that knowing you, I can give you another exclusive that um, we're starting brunch in December. I'll be there. So look for brunch. So we'll probably have the eggs Benedict, but the classics, the Delmonico steak. Um, we also have the wedge salad, which my grandfather created. But Chef Eddie, who you just met, really did a beautiful interpretation, a modern interpretation, where you still have the flavor of the blue cheese and the wonderful crispness of the lettuce, but there's a surprise dressing. So, um, you know, I like to give teases so that you come in and experience because food really, it just takes over all the senses. The crab cake, which is delicious. That's a wonderful appetizer. The octopus. There are so many new additions to the menu. Of course, the classics are there, the steaks, but the new additions that Chef Eddie have brought onto the table. And the fun part is the bar, right? The bar has some different things on the menu. We have the Delmonico's burger. We have these crispy rice with lobster. But we're also understanding that sometimes you want that Delmonico steak. So we offer both menus in the bar as well. One of the things that I truly loved about your book, and there are many, many, many things I love about your book, The Delmonico Way, is there's the baked Alaska in the book, which is a very classic Delmonico's dish, but that had a modern twist on it too. So in the book, we have wonderful modern twists. And yes, the baked Alaska. The baked Alaska, we have the baked Alaska cupcakes by Letty Alvarez, who has the beautiful cupcake shop in Miami. And then, of course, Carla Hall, she did a, a beautiful baked Alaska for us. The baked Alaska we're serving here in Delmonico's, 1867, right? And what's wonderful about baked Alaska is that the recipe we use in the restaurant today, right now, is one of the original recipes. So there's that walnut, there's the banana, there's the meringue, there's some apricot, and then there's some beautiful edible flowers on the plate. So it's really celebrating, again, moving forward while looking back. Now, the last time 
I had the pleasure and privilege of sitting down in front of Mike's with you about a year ago. You were just about to head off on your book tour for the Delmonica Way. And I loved following you on Instagram and all the places you went and the photographs. But I'm so curious to know, a year later, looking back on that, what was the most common question people asked you? What did you hear again and again? What did people want to know? It's a wonderful question. And we can bring it current because the book has had a resurgence since Delmonico's has reopened. But a resurgence in the sense it is a timeless book, right? But you know the industry. You know, they say that a cookbook especially can only, is like the shelf life between milk and cottage cheese, right? So it's not a very long span. So for this book too, and I just won the IACP award for the Trailblazer Award, right? But the question, what do people ask? I just did a wonderful book signing and I have to have you invited there to the Hotel Foucher. And uh, Chef Foucher was the master chef at Delmonico's, right? And he then went to Milford, Pennsylvania. He opened the hotel there. The Delmonico family would go there. They had the Delmonico cottage. So there's a Delmonico room. And I just did a book signing there recently. And the questions are, I get, are the recipes that are in the book recipes that are still served today? Are they classics from when Delmonico's originated, right? And so I say, you have to read the book to tell me, right? But also I get what we talked about earlier, about the reminiscing, my grandparents, celebratory events, weddings, birthdays. And just when I get a a message on Instagram saying, my grandfather and grandmother had their first date at Delmonico's, right? So now I get to continue sharing the stories of so many that if we weren't doing this, they could easily be forgotten. And that's what Delmonico's brings back. It resuscitates the Gilded Age. It resuscitates the Roaring Twenties, the Thirties, the Forties, the Fifties, the Sixties, the Seventies, the Eighties, and today, right? And so that's what Delmonico's is. And those are the questions that I get. They're more of statements of sharing, right? Of this is my experience, or this is my knowledge of Delmonico's. And I bet you found people just wanting to share their memories Uh, with you. And I'm an easy crier. So when they start and then they cry and then I cry, it's like, okay, it's like, it's a Barbara Walter special. We'll and try not to cry today. You're going to get I, me twice. I don't know. I don't know. You almost got me twice. You're good. Now, uh, Max, I have to ask you, so is there another book in the works? So, you know, I always say jokingly to friends, can you keep a secret? And when friends say yes, I say, so can I. (laughs) But since we're sharing today, yes, there is another book. There's a cocktail book in the works. Why? We couldn't put all the cocktails in this book. I have my editor, Caitlin. I mean, talk about emotional. When I won the IACP award, this Trailblazer award, Caitlin was there. I'm looking at her and I'm crying. She's crying. I was all good when I was accepting that award until I saw my mother who was in the room that night. And she's crying. I'm like, oh, I was so good. But the reason why I bring all this up is because Caitlin, my editor, said, if everything is special, then nothing is special, right? So if everything is special, again, then nothing is special. And I was so confused when she told me that. I'm like, everything about Delmonico is special. (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? And she said, there's so many more books in you, and we can't just put them all in one book, right? So when we have a cocktail list, literally, of over 480 cocktails, and now we're like, how many are we going to put in the Delmonico way? So we picked the best. And now in the new cocktail book, I'm going to have, about, I think, 151, right? 
And then another book that I'm working on, I think this one you'll really love, it's the take of Eloise, right? So if we picture Eloise and those that know the book and the whole story and this character that's just so larger than life and we want to like become a child again and run around through the plaza or through the Waldorf or through Delmonico's inspired me to come up with a book called Max of Delmonico's where it's an illustration book for young children and grown children alike. And I get to turn into a little mouse in this building, right? And I get to run through the walls and jump on the table of Gypsy Rosalie and get all the stories and then go over to see, um, you know, Bet Betty Davis or, or Lena Horne or Cary Grant or Rock Hudson. And then I get to run over to see <laughs> uh, the one and only Liz, well, Liz Smith when she dined here, you know, I wish Liz were alive because she'd be so thrilled to, to see Delmonico's today. But so, you know, being part of this character of Max of Delmonico's and growing up in Delmonico's and in the building and being able to share that in an illustration. And, you know, I could do it by the decades, but I love the 50s. We all do. <laughs> <laughs> now, Max, we've talked a lot about this. Delmonico's is a lot about tradition. It's about the original Delmonico brothers. It's about your grandfather. It's about your father, your aunt. And now it's about you. And you've brought so many of those older traditions and combined them. What's uniquely yours that's here at Delmonico's? What's the Max Tucci stamp that you've added to all of this? Continuing my grandfather's legacy. All are welcome to the table. I make it a point to walk around and greet everyone and say hi to everyone. I wear crazy blazers that already the New York Daily News has reported on. And they've even made their Max Tucci special, right? So um, there's touches that people are seeing because I'm influencing them and encouraging them to order something that they would never, right? So I think my stamp is to try everything. You know, come back to Delmonico's, try the cuisine, try the dishes. When my mother was here and we cut the ribbon for, for the opening and the mayor was here. I was here you too. You were here. I know you were here. My mother was not scheduled to cut the ribbon. She was coming with me and I, I was going to cut the ribbon with the mayor after I spoke. And the mayor looked at my mother and goes, I'm a mama's boy. And I said, this is my mother. And he goes, she's cutting the ribbon. I said, you know what? Yes, she is. So now that picture of her is now like the new Delmonico's. But even when we rang the bell at the New York Stock Exchange and I called to tell her, mommy, I'm ringing the bell. And she goes, oh, your father and I did that in 1973, right? So today the stamp, the Max Tucci stamp is the Delmonico way and continuing the legacy again that my ancestors gave me, the lessons that they taught me that are in the book that I'm teaching you and now you can come and experience it at Delmonico's. And they taught you so well. Now, Max, I want to ask you, because I've heard you say this in some of your talks, you've commented that in, in recent decades, the restaurant chef has become the most important person in American dining. But the Delmonico philosophy, and, and I will say a chef, of course, is enormously important. However, in the Delmonico philosophy, it's always been the customer or the guest that is the most important in all of this. And that has certainly contributed to Delmonico's longevity, its uniqueness, certainly its brand. Can you talk a little bit about that? And in the restaurant industry overall, do you see things shifting from being chef-focused back to guest-focused? Or can you comment on that? I think it's a really fascinating observation. It is. Thank you. And it got me a lot of heat 
And that's okay because, you know, I feel like if, when we speak our truth, we can't let our voice shake. And it's just a perspective. It's like art. We look at art and everyone has a different take on it. I look at the industry and I go back to, again, my grandfather and my father and them not making the chef the celebrity chef, but making the clientele the celebrity, right? New York Daily News wrote, Max Tucci recreates the era of lush luxuries in the Delmonico way, but Delmonico's is where Hollywood meets Wall Street and everyone is a star right? So the stars are the people that are coming in every night. Yeah. And I love Chef Eddie. He is the most humble chef in the world. I adore him, not only for his cuisine, but for his personality and for his energy that he brings here, you know, and I love that there's a shyness to him as well, right? And when I was just about to bring him in to meet you, he's like, I'm like, you look great. Just go in, right? He's the coolest guy. When I see brands, big brands that make their chef the brand rather than the clientele. It's not easy to be the ultimate host, right? But the ultimate guest. And being the ultimate host, you have to remove yourself from the ego and be able to welcome all to the table, right? And to say you are the reason why I'm here, not I'm the reason why you're here. And that's really how I look at it, is, is continuing what my grandfather said, again, it's those simple phrases, all are welcome to the table. As we're getting farther away from the pandemic, restaurants are reopening, businesses are starting, people are starting their own businesses again, which is all incredibly exciting to see. So I'm curious, Max, what advice would you give to someone starting their own restaurant? What do you think are the most important and crucial elements that a restaurateur or chef or both <laughs> can bring into a new business. What's your philosophy? I laugh because I know, I know, I know, I know. And I always say this, if you do not love people, do not be in the industry. We are driven by hospitality and by conviviality, right? So if you're going in because you think that you're going to make such an impression on the culinary world, it is one of the oldest in the world, right? They say prostitution is the oldest, um, is what the oldest profession. I think being a chef is, right? And so when people think that they're just gonna open up a restaurant, I don't wanna discourage you by any means because those that know me know that I always like to encourage. I have the max motivating sessions. It's really about understanding the industry, right? To go be a lawyer, you study law, right? To go be a doctor, you study all sorts of doctoral uh, programs. When we have an idea that we want to open a restaurant because we might have the money to or something that one of your family members have, it's more than just a business. It's a personality. My mother used to call this my father's second wife. There's a commitment to this. I say this not to boast or not to like, you know, paint a picture that, oh, I'm Max is so great. I paint this because... I'm here, I, I, love, I, go, I go to the farm, I take the subway here, I'm here, I'll drive home at one o'clock in the morning, an hour drive up the sawmill, and I do that because my passion to see people and to make sure that the last person that leaves I'm here to say goodnight to, right? That's what really is the driving factor. My grandfather and I read in the book says a couple of things about the industry. People might not remember the room, they might not remember the lighting, the air quality or the temperature. They might even not necessarily remember the food, but they will remember how they were treated, 
right? And so if you are unable to treat people with respect, with dignity, with the understanding of all are welcome to the table, then just dine at restaurants, don't own one. So Max, I have to ask my favorite question of all interviews on The Gilded Gentleman. And it's really wonderful because I have the opportunity to ask you twice. I asked you a year ago, and now it's a whole year later since we first discussed this. But now, Max, having relaunched Delmonico's yourself, what would you like to say or what would you like to ask your grandfather and your father now? And what would you want to tell them? Well... What I would want to tell them is a phrase that we say in Italian, which is grazie di cuore, thank you from the heart. There's a song that Pavarotti used to sing, which is called non ti scordare me, don't forget me. I want them to know that I never forgot them. And every time I come into this building, you're going to get me to cry. <laughs> but I feel their energy woven into the tapestry of these walls. When I walk through those front doors, I feel them here. And I'm just, you know, there's a song that a friend of mine sings, um, Felisa Latin Soul, which is Ancestors. And if you don't know the song, Google it. And she sings in the song, Father, guide me. Mother, guide me. And that's what I just want. I want them to continue to guide me. To Every time I go through those double doors, I always acknowledge them. You know, I'm wearing a pendant today, a little frame that has a picture. for. I'll show you, but for the listeners, we'll do narrative description. And it's a little gold book. And the book opens and there's pages of my father, my grandfather, my aunt, and my, and my grandmother are all in this little book. That was my grandmother's and then my, my, my aunt's. And I wear that as a reminder for ancestors. It's so easy to go about our day to forget about where we've come from, who paved the way for us, our grandmother, how she kissed us goodnight, our father, how he danced with us, as Luther would sing one more time, right? And it's so easy to forget because we just, our daily lives are just so consumed. And so for me to be in this building every day is a constant reminder of ancestors. And therefore, it's the Maya Angelou quote, when you learn, teach. I'm learning so much about my ancestors. So my teaching is, yes, about my ancestors, but it's also the teaching for you to remember to look up your ancestors, to say their name, so that every time we say their name, their spirit and their energy is felt. So I'm a teacher now. You are a teacher, and you always have been, and Thank I don't you. think you could be anything else, because that's what it's really about. And I think what's interesting is I hope everyone comes to Delmonico's, but if for whatever reason they can't, this is something they can think about at their own dining room tables with every meal you create, with your friends and your family and honoring. Isn't that right? And to me, that's so much of the Delmonico way too. That is the Delmonico way. And that's why I wrote the book. Because not everybody can come to Delmonico's, right? Not everybody can experience this where we are right now at 56 Beaver Street. But one thing you can experience is the Delmonico way, the book. And more than just the book, but the stories and the reminder, like you use your grandmother's teacup, right? It's a ritual. It's become a ritual. And so it's reminding listeners, it's reminding friends, it's reminding really the world to use what your grandparents and your ancestors left you and to honor them, to honor them. You know, I often finish my tours and my talks with a quote from a New York historian who has passed away. His name was Eric Homberger. But what he said is, when we can see the world as our ancestors or 
those that lived before us saw it, that's as close to them as we can get. So using what they used, seeing the rooms where they inhabit, that's why I adore historic preservation so much. And, you know, coming into Delmonico's, even with the modern updates, and they are incredibly beautiful, there's still a sense of history. There is still a sense of all the people that have been here. And that, Max, is all thanks to you. Oh, thank you. (laughs) You know, I want to just pick up off of that quote real quick. Because something that's just in my spirit now also, for, for so many people who are listening, forgive your ancestors, right? Forgive them. Not everyone knew what they were doing or they were patterns and pathologies of how their mother raised them. Find peace with your ancestors, right? And then that's when you can celebrate not only your life every day because you're here because of them, but you can celebrate them. I needed to say that. <laughs> and I'm so glad you did. And oh, Max, I can't thank you enough for joining me back on the Gilded Gen. Will you come back? Can we do more oh, shows? Please. <laughs> I can't wait. And especially thank you for sharing our conversation right here at Delmonico's, where so much has happened in the nearly 200 years, but it's still happening in an incredibly exciting way and going on into the future. Thank you so much for joining me, Max. Thank you. And I'm going to give you another tidbit. For those, I just thought, those that can't come to Delmonico's because let's say they live far away, we're teaming up with Gold Belly. So we'll be able to send Delmonico steaks to your door from the Gilded Age restaurant itself. Boy, with the bonbons and the steaks, you know, my listeners, you can have Delmonico's at home, but I hope you come to New York because it's a really special experience or to be here. Or invite us to oh, your we'll home. Come. Max we'll and come. I will come. We have to come. <laughs> thank you all so much. And thank you, Max. Thank you. And with that, this concludes our last show for 2023. The Gilded Gentleman will be back for its third year with a brand new show on January 16th. It's been quite a year. I wanted to end this year with this very special show with Max to share that sense of family, tradition, and ancestry, whatever each of our own might be. There is no better lens with which to look back at history and the people that created it than that. Over the past 12 months, The Gilded Gentleman has launched 35 shows, welcomed 24 special guests, and taken a look at the gilded and sometimes not-so-gilded worlds of late 19th century and early 20th century history in New York, London, Paris, and even Venice. I can't wait to share a whole new season with you of shows every other week, so stay tuned for our next episodes in 2024. And to my listeners, thank you for joining me for another episode of The Gilded Gentleman. The Gilded Gentleman is produced by Bowery Boys Media, and this episode was edited and produced by Karen Gannon. To stay up to date on upcoming podcasts, special tours, and events, make sure to sign up for The Gilded Gentleman monthly newsletter, and you can do that on thegildedgentleman.com. I invite my listeners to become patrons of the show on patreon.com slash thegildedgentleman. Your support helps me to manage the costs of researching, writing, creating, and producing the show. I couldn't do it without you. I'll see you soon. And after all, what's life without a little glint of gold? <laughs> <laughs>